This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, the pool of Republicans running for president just got a little more crowded. Biotech businessman Vivek Ramaswamy announced his candidacy. The Mormon Church found itself under fire recently. This after allegations it used 13 shell companies to hide a huge investment fund worth $32 billion. A federal jury finds Mexico's former security minister guilty on drug trafficking charges. Prosecutors say he took millions of dollars in bribes from drug cartels. A new rule from the Biden administration for the southern border, it's meant to reduce illegal entries that are expected to surge after Title 42 ends. And how often do random moments lead to monumental changes in people's lives? Find out how a flat tire leads to a lost wallet and a new friendship. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Wednesday, February 22nd. And today we start out with someone new throwing their hat into the 2024 presidential race. Vivek Ramaswamy is running for president as a Republican. The biotech entrepreneur is the author of Woke Incorporated Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam. Ramaswamy says that the country is in the midst of a national identity crisis and that faith, patriotism, hard work and family are on the decline. He says climatism, wokeism and gender ideology have taken their place. The businessman describes the Chinese regime as the greatest external threat America faces. Ramaswamy says his first move as U.S. president would be to end federally mandated affirmative action. He also says he wants to expose government documents showing state influence in private enterprises. I need to get on the debate stage. And I think the thing we need to do in this country in 2023 is decide on the what. What does the conservative movement stand for? What does the GOP stand for? In 2024, we can decide the who. But if we decide the agenda, we get this right now, that's going to be good for the GOP. It's going to be good for the conservative movement. It is going to be good for this country. Ramaswamy is the son of Indian immigrants. He graduated from Harvard University with a biology degree and later from Yale Law School. He co-founded Strive Asset Management. Politico described Ramaswamy as one of the intellectual godfathers of the so-called anti-woke movement. The entrepreneur criticized what he called the Great Reset, describing it as the merging of state power with corporate power to create the modern form of fascism. A $5 million fine, 13 shell companies, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints found itself in some hot water recently over a huge investment fund. It has agreed to settle allegations that it tried to hide the fund from the government. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on the story. The Securities and Exchange Commission says the LDS Church and its investment manager agreed to pay a $5 million fine connected to the charge that the church hid an approximately $32 billion investment fund. The SEC says the church was concerned disclosing the fund would lead to negative consequences. To settle the lawsuit, the LDS Church agreed to pay $1 million of the fine. Their investment firm, Ensign Peak Advisors, will pay the other $4 million. 
It all began with a damaging whistleblower complaint filed by a former Ensign Peak investment manager with the IRS in 2019. It accused the church of accumulating about $100 billion in accounts intended for charitable purposes. The complaint further alleged that the church was deceiving its members by keeping their donations instead of using them for charity. Ensign Peak, which is run by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, reportedly didn't file the correct forms to disclose the investments. The SEC says the investment firm instead created 13 shell companies with the church's blessing and had the shell companies file the forms. However, those shell companies were under the control of Ensign Peak and the forms were signed by managers mostly employed by the church. An SEC official stated that the LDS church went to great lengths to avoid disclosing the church's investments. In a statement, the LDS acknowledged mistakes were made and said it now considered the matter closed. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Supreme Court heard its first case on Section 230, a law that protects big tech. The decision on the case could create major changes across the Internet. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Back in 2015, 130 people were killed in an Islamic terrorist attack in France, including an American college student who was studying abroad, Naomi Gonzalez. Her family later sued Google for recommending terrorist videos on YouTube, which is owned by Google. Their lawsuit claims YouTube video recommendations helped spread the Islamic State's message and recruit terrorists. But a lower court dismissed the case, saying Google was protected by Section 230. The law protects tech companies from being responsible for content posted by third parties. The Supreme Court has now taken up that case. This is the first time the highest court has examined the scope of Section 230. Justice Elena Kagan commented. Every other industry has to internalize the costs of its conduct. Why is it that the tech industry gets a pass? A little bit unclear. On the other hand, I mean, we're a court. We really don't know about these things. You know, these are not like the nine greatest experts on the Internet. <laughs> the attorney for Google, Lisa Blatt, said the algorithm YouTube uses for recommendations is neutral. And Justice Neil Gorsuch added this. Another problem also is that it begs the question what a neutral rule is. Is an algorithm always neutral? Uh, don't many of them uh, seek to profit maximize or promote their own products? Some might even uh, prefer one point of view over another. New York City Mayor Eric Adams also commented on Big Tech's algorithm. And then when you look at what happened in Buffalo with the Buffalo shooter, he was radicalized on social media. Social media is impacting our lives, and they're robbing our children of their innocence. And I just believe on a national level that I think the national government must come in and say, what is the corporate responsibility of social media? Some justices also said it should be up to Congress to make changes to Section 230. The Supreme Court is scheduled to hear another case about the issue on Wednesday, this time involving another Islamic terrorist attack in Istanbul, Turkey. The court's rulings are expected by early summer. Jason Perry, NTD News. A U.S. jury convicted Mexico's former security minister yesterday. He was found guilty on five charges related to drug trafficking. Prosecutors say he took millions of dollars in bribes from the cartels he was supposed to be fighting. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the verdict. 
Federal prosecutors in New York say Gennaro Garcia Luna accepted bribes from the Sinaloa cartel, once run by Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. They accused him of taking massive amounts of money in exchange for impunity, safe passage for drug shipments, and tip-offs about upcoming law enforcement operations. The jury found him guilty on five charges, including participation in a criminal organization, making false statements to U.S. immigration officials, and conspiracy to obtain, import, and distribute thousands of pounds of cocaine in the U.S. 54-year-old Luna is one of the highest-ranking Mexican officials ever accused of ties to drug trafficking. He led Mexico's federal investigation agency from 2001 to 2005 and was public security minister, his country's equivalent of the FBI director, for six years until 2012. Jurors heard from six convicted cartel members during the four-week trial. Luna's lawyers claimed the charges were based on lies from violent criminals seeking revenge on the man that arrested them, who wanted to lower their U.S. prison sentences by helping prosecutors. Luna moved to the U.S. after leaving office and was arrested in Texas in 2019. The former official pleaded not guilty to all charges and can appeal the ruling. His sentencing will be announced on June 27th. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The Biden administration laid out a new rule for the southern border yesterday. It's their plan to quell illegal entries, which are expected to surge after Title 42 ends. The rule has already met with backlash from some Democrats, and it could pose a political challenge for Biden moving forward. Here's Entity's Melina Weiskup. Illegal crossings at the southwest border have shattered records over the past two years. 200,000 a month. Uh, in December, we had 250,000 in a single month. Um, think of four Super Bowl stadiums filled coming through that border every month four Super Bowl stadiums. A surge that the Biden administration expects to worsen after Title 42 ends in just a few months. Now the DHS and DOJ have released a new temporary rule meant to reduce illegal entries. It would make migrants unable to claim asylum in the U.S. if they cross illegally. This could pose a political challenge for Biden if he decides to launch a 2024 presidential run. More than 70 Democrats on Capitol Hill have already disapproved as they anticipated this new rule last month. Now, anyone who tells you that the only way to secure our border is to punish asylum seekers is lying. It's why we are appalled to see President Biden replicate President Trump's immigration strategy. The Biden administration's new policies only make it more difficult for the most vulnerable to legally access the United States. We are confident that there is a better way forward. But the administration says their goal is to encourage migrants to avail themselves of lawful, safe and orderly pathways into the United States or otherwise seek asylum or other protection in countries through which they travel, thereby reducing reliance on human smuggling networks. The rule is set to take effect in May and will expire after two years. In addition, the administration is expanding the use of the CBP-1 app as a gateway for the asylum system. This has also gotten pushback. Democrat Senator Ed Markey writing in a statement that it raises troubling issues of inequitable access to and impermissible limits on asylum. The CBP-1 app allows non-citizens to schedule a time to arrive at ports of entry. They've changed uh, rechanneling a little bit through the ports of entry now, so you might not see it like that. But rest assured, just as many people will be crossing 
uh, through the ports of entry. This comes as lawmakers led by Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan are headed to Yuma, Arizona later this week to hold a border security field hearing at the border. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Coming up, an explosion and large fire in Florida near Miami yesterday. Find out what's known so far about the blast that killed two people and injured three others. And from a candy beach to an iconic building in New York City, all things miniature can be seen at the Small is Beautiful exhibition. Those stories after the break. Welcome back. Two people were killed and three others injured in an explosion and fire in Medley, Florida near Miami yesterday. Police say it was semi-trucks and other vehicles that exploded and burned, but they're not yet sure what caused the combustion. Two of the three people injured were in critical condition and receiving treatment at a local trauma center. The other was treated at the scene. Surveillance footage at the time shows a massive fireball and black smoke rising into the air. A fuel truck completely engulfed in flames appeared to be the epicenter of the fire. Officials say homicide detectives and an arson unit are conducting the investigation. Medley is an industrial area of Miami-Dade that's near Doral, where another fire has been burning for more than a week. Another train derailment in the Midwest. A Union Pacific coal train derailed in Nebraska. This is the third major derailment in the Midwest in less than a month. A Union Pacific freight train derailed near the town of Gothenburg, Nebraska, early Tuesday morning at around 1.45 a.m. local time. It had around 30 cars carrying coal. Emergency hazmat crews responded to the scene. There were no flames or smoke from the derailment. Union Pacific Railroad said the crash doesn't appear to pose a threat to local residents. The railroad company told media outlets, quote, no one was injured. Cleanup has begun with heavy equipment on site. An investigation into the derailment is currently underway. This is the third major train derailment in the Midwest in less than a month. On February 3rd, a Norfolk Southern train carrying toxic chemicals derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. About a week ago, authorities confirmed a train derailed near Detroit, Michigan. It was also carrying some hazardous materials. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Pay for the cleanup. The EPA is ordering Norfolk Southern to do just that after one of its trains carrying toxic chemicals derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. The incident led to evacuations and concerns over contamination in the area. Officials are now working to assure residents that the air and water are safe despite health concerns in the community. Here are the latest details. The disaster resulted in a days-long fire that sent plumes of black smoke into the air and led to the intentional release of vinyl chloride to help avoid a worse explosion. We need our town cleaned up. We need our residents to feel safe in their homes. During a press briefing Tuesday, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine was critical of laws on the books that do not require train companies to notify local governments when hazardous materials are passing through the area. The fact that this train did not qualify under current law uh, requiring the railroad company to make that notification is just absurd. Now this community is caught in the middle. As more reports of health problems emerge and officials try to assure people the air and water in this community is safe. 
The cleanup order, which is legally binding, will require the company to identify and clean the contaminated soil and water resources and reimburse the EPA for services provided to residents and local businesses. So far, the soil under the railroad tracks at the derailment site has been determined to be contaminated. So the tracks will have to be taken up and that soil will have to be removed. Meanwhile, officials open a new clinic Tuesday that will serve residents impacted by the train derailment. Norfolk Southern said they want to do what's right for the residents of East Palestine, issuing a statement saying, we're committed to thoroughly, thoroughly and safely cleaning this site and we're reimbursing residents for the disruption this has caused in their lives. The company says it's invested in helping East Palestine thrive for the long term and will continue to be in the community for as long as it takes. Over 1 million gallons of contaminated water have been excavated from the site so far and around 15,000 pounds of contaminated soil. Norfolk Southern says contaminated soil and water will be transported to landfills and disposal facilities designed to accept them. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves had some strong words on Twitter yesterday regarding gender reassignment procedures. He wrote that, quote, sterilizing and castrating children in the name of new gender ideology is wrong. The Republican governor confirmed that he plans to sign a bill to ban cross-sex procedures in the state for anyone younger than 18. The fact is that we set age restrictions on driving a car and on getting a tattoo. We don't let 11-year-olds enter an R-rated movie alone. Yet some would have us believe that we should push permanent body-altering surgeries on them at such a young age. Reeves added that Mississippi must do everything in its power to counter those who want to push what he called experiments on kids. House Bill 1125 won final approval Tuesday in the Republican-controlled Mississippi Senate. It will be sent in the coming days to Reeves, a Republican who is running for re-election. Reeves signed a law in 2021 to ban so-called transgender athletes from competing in girls' or women's sports. The Republican governor of Utah recently signed a ban on cross-sex procedures for minors into law. Judges have temporarily blocked similar laws in Arkansas and Alabama. Small is Beautiful, that's an exhibit dedicated to miniature art, and it opened yesterday in New York City. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing, yes. I feel like a kid. From mushroom painting to a candy beach, all things miniature can be seen at the exhibit. According to Fever, who is running the event, this is the biggest international exhibition entirely dedicated to miniature art. 130-plus pieces of miniature artwork are on display, made by 32 artists from around the world. Artists displayed various miniatures in different art forms, such as sculpture, food, and even origami samurai. Small is Beautiful was initially created through social media, but the project manager of Fever said it should be seen in person. Honestly, you cannot appreciate the miniature art just through the phone or through a photo. You have to see it in real life, the details, the intricacies. That's why you need to immerse yourself in it. We offer people magnifying glasses and there's microscopes and you could come see this exhibit three times and see new things each time you come through. With each new city they come to, they will create new pieces of art from local artists. So here in New York City, they added a local artist as well, like the iconic buildings we just saw. That's pretty cool. It looks really detailed. It kind of makes me want to go there and see it myself. 
Well, this uh, tiny exhibition will run until the end of August this year, so you still have the chance. That's good to know. And one of California's most popular poppy fields is blooming early this year. But the well-known sightseeing spot is now closed to the public. That's because of visitors going off trail and trampling the wildflowers. Now, a creative approach is being taken to let people see the stunning scene up close from a bird's eye view. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has the story. The beautiful orange glow can be seen from miles, carpeting the hillsides of Walker Canyon near Lake Elsinore in California. Back in 2019, wet weather brought the area what locals call a super bloom. We hadn't seen a bloom this size in over 100 years. This year, similar conditions set the stage for the flower phenomenon. But city officials are on high alert. That's because visitors that surged to the site after it went viral on social media caused permanent damage to the poppy-filled hillsides last time it happened. We saw so many visitors and there were so many folks visiting that didn't quite keep to the trails and, you know, really just wanted to grab that great photo and the flowers. It created impact to the bloom. Other alternatives have blossomed with the canyons closed in an effort to preserve the habitat, like traversing the fields while hanging from a zip line 200 feet in the air. So here would be a guided tour. You're going to be flying over poppies. You're not going to be laying in poppies or trampling poppies. So far, the strategy has been a hit. It's amazing, it's absolutely beautiful. And at, with the closures, you know, this is one opportunity that, you know, people can get to actually come and see them up close and personal without actually, you know, stepping all over them. <laughs> the city of Riverside also set up a live webcam to view the bloom from its website and is planning a virtual drone experience to take viewers up the trail. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Coming up, repairing a flat tire leads a teenage boy to a parking lot where he discovers a lost wallet and a new friendship. That story when we return. Welcome back. A window breaks, a washing machine gives out, a car has mechanical problems. People encounter these things on a daily basis. But does a deeper thread of destiny run through such seemingly random affairs? In the next story, you'll hear how a flat tire led to a lost wallet and a new friendship. It was a Sunday night in January. Young Delvante Johnson was on his way to church when fate put an obstacle in his way. Well, January 1st, I hit a pothole in Memphis. That's how it all started. About 10 days later, the college student was on his way to a mechanic still riding on a spare tire. He needed to withdraw money for the tire repair, so he went to a nearby Walmart. That's when he noticed something unusual. Someone had left a wallet in a shopping cart, a grandmother of seven from Wynn, Arkansas. I had to pick up some washer fluid, pick up some stuff. So what had happened was I left my wallet in the shopping cart that was in the parking lot at Walmart. Afraid of turning the wallet over to strangers, young Delavante took matters into his own hands using social media to track D down. And what he had done was he found my driver's license with my name and information and my address and he was on the way to my house to bring my wallet to me. Dee informed Delavante that she was actually in another town visiting a friend. The young man drove over 20 miles out of his way on a spare tire to reach her. They met in a restaurant parking lot. 
Well, as soon as he pulled up, I jumped out of my car and I said, I want a picture of us because I'm going to share this on Facebook. And, uh, and I gave him a big hug. I was just relieved. I was grateful. I was pretty emotional because, I mean, just to know that everything I had was in that wallet. And somebody took the time to get it and bring it to me. Hey. Dee shared their story on Facebook and the post went viral. Dee says she wanted Delavante to be recognized for what he had done, and she wanted to share the goodness of God. He puts angels in our lives when we need them for a particular reason, and that's what he did in this case. <laughs> Delavante credits the strong parenting of his mom and his faith for the person he is today. It's never too late to um, give your life to God. Like, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. All you got to do is pray and, you know, believe in God and put your trust in God. Since their meeting, the students and the grandmother have connected on Facebook and message each other to check in. Dee is grateful to Johnson for his integrity and to his mother, Rachel, for raising her four children by herself with a strong moral compass. The teen was equally moved by meeting Dee. What's something he learned from the situation? Yes, ma'am. My mom always told me, um, if you do good things, good things will, you know, fall back on you. Delvante says there's something else this seemingly random encounter brought him. A great friend in Miss D. That is such a heartwarming story, Evelyn, and it's so great to hear the two are keeping in touch. Right, and I mean, just another example that it always pays to do the right thing, right? Oh, yes, I agree. Yeah. All right, that's all for today's program. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com if you have anything to share with us. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.